merging from a worldview that mandated and controlled individual freedom, people all over the civilized world of the 16 and 8 to 1800s rebelled and fought for equality in wealth and in social status. They wanted freedom from dictatorship in society and religious oppression from the church. So with Bible in hand, pilgrims came to this new world called America to start a new way of life, looking for a new utopia. America's rally cry, cry was, we choose. We choose what we believe. We choose how we live. Wow, amazing. Sounds like today. The problem is, in this nation does not always choose the Christian God or holy living as defined in scripture. Welcome to our show today. I had to get that out. So a little commentary on where we are. Coming to an idealism, and many of us have an idealism. There's a drugstore commercial I like uh, where they show all this serenity of scenes from yesterday. And, and, and they talk about whether or not we wish it was an ideal world. I'm sure all of us wish for an ideal world, society where everything is real, everything is like we want it to be and we would like to have it to be. I wish it was so too. I wish we were in a world that covers that, but it's coming. It's coming real soon. But remember, in our constant talk about the last word, three points we want to constantly talk about our faith, what we believe, our family, how we structure what we believe, and our finances, how we use our resources to structure what we believe and become devoted to what we believe. Wow. Powerful structure points. I think that as we develop what I've been talking about for quite a bit on this particular segment of the show is to talk about really a Christian worldview. That's almost like an oxymoron today because of the level of Christianity and its influence. Actually, the most devout Christians anywhere, I looked at a survey, is in Africa. They're actually Africans who are sending missionaries to America because we've gotten so far away from our faith. But because of the rise in our airways of internet, Google, YouTube, all kinds of social media, we see a rising breakdown of Christian worldview. Add to that this idea of worldliness that's coming about. No one wants to be told what to do. So our cultural influences is about what we choose, how we choose, where we choose because our epistemology has gotten to that point. 
Well, enough pessimism. Let me talk a little bit about where we are and how we structure that. First John 2, 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Some people think that worldliness is limited to external behavior. The people we associate with, the places we go, the activities we enjoy. Worldliness, though, is also internal because it begins in the heart and is characterized by three attitudes. Verse 16 covers those. Now, remember, I mentioned last week that the Greek word for world here is the Greek word cosmos, and it deals with society. It doesn't deal with the heavenlies or the cosmos out in uh, cosmological idea or astrological idea of planets and stars. No, it's talking about, in this terminology, how people form their world. There are three things that John brings out to us in relationship to looking at society around us. Basically, we're talking about from the Christian worldview that we've been called out of a society into a new society. So that he talks about three things. Worldliness is also internal because it begins in the heart and is characterized by three attitudes. Jesus summed up in, I think it's Mark's 721, it's not that which goes into a man that defiles a man, but that which comes out of a man. Of course, it begins by what you intake, but the fruit of it is the outtake. Number one, the craving for physical pleasure, preoccupation with gravitating physical desires. Hmm. Sounds like a lot of our day. Number two, the craving for everything we see, coveting and accumulating things, bowing to the God of materialism. That's because we see so much. We live in a world where everything can be seen. You can Google Earth and almost see the society everywhere. We talk about what we want. The last is the pride of life. Pride in our achievements, our possessions, obsession with one's status or importance. You remember when the serpent tempted Eve, he tempted her in these areas. Also, when the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness, these are the three areas of attack. By contrast, God values self-control. A spirit of generosity and a commitment to humble services. It is possible to give the impression of avoiding worldly pleasures while still harboring worldly attitudes in one's heart. Nobody knows what's in the heart but God. It is also possible, like Jesus, to love sinners and spend time with them while maintaining a commitment to the values of God's kingdom. Wow, that takes us into our understanding and our concept of where we are. So what do we do to prepare that? And how do we understand it? Well, I think it, it relates to right now understanding 
of Bible prophecy? How do we deal with understanding Bible prophecy? Where do we put that in perspective to where we are now? How do we get that? Well, I think it's all about changing our mindset. I've been talking about a postmodern mindset for quite some time, last couple of days. But in the end times, this times that we call the end times, we're concerned with um, the time period or the end times, this Christian earth is really a period of time between the first and second comings of Christ. We live in the overlap of ages, so there is a lot of tension. The present evil age and the coming future age. So the kingdom of God has come and hasn't come. Hmm. Has come in one sense, hasn't come in the other. But what is really meant by the end times? The very last days or the last generation on earth? Here we are in our postmodern viewpoint again, trying to put all these things together. Well, we have a problem because the Bible has a philosophy of history and we can read the Bible with the wrong view. I heard someone mention that the Bible was written for us but it was not written to us. And so the people that it was written to, we have to kind of understand in our hermeneutics what they understood when the Bible was written versus what we want to apply when we want to take it today. But our time viewpoint revolves not only worldviews I've been talking about for the last couple of episodes, but it also talks about a viewpoint of history itself. For instance, the Greek worldview of history is that time is circular. There's a circular view of history and that everything that comes around will go around. So we're in this merry-go-round of things happening over and over and over again. So it begins uh, a Greek view of history. I remember a movie a few years ago called Groundhog Day in which everything in the movie kept happening perpetually over and over on the same day. That's the Greek view of history. The epic view of history is that things go up and down, sometimes up, sometimes down. That may be an epic view of history. The optimistic view of history is that things are getting better, progress. That was the viewpoint of the world going into the 20th century. And so the greatest invention of the 20th century going in to see this great viewpoint of technology and things going forth was the Titanic. And so it became the, the great wonder of the world. It was this great thing that was going to come about. It became a great tragedy and not a great progressive viewpoint. So people started getting pessimistic afterwards. With the coming of World War I and World War II, pessimistic viewpoint entered the world. Time is getting worse. But then there's a apocalyptic view, which from scripture tells us that things will get worse and they'll get worse before they get better, but they will get better. Both, both Jews and Christians believe that God will do this. Communists believe that man will do it. Liberal believes that we'll work our way out of this. So in our postmodern viewpoint, we figure we have answers to all these things that we feel that are upsetting 
in our viewpoint and in our mind? What can we do to pull these things into some sort of thinking? Are things getting better? Or are things getting worse? Or we've got more technology than we ever had. We got more discoveries of science than we ever had. We have more inventions and things that we have, but has it made the world better? We still have hunger, we still have sickness, we still have pain, we still have wars. So the world, I guess, really has not gotten better. If you look around, I think it's getting worse. And before it gets better, it will continue to get worse. Jesus gave four signs in Matthew 24. In the world, we're going to have disasters. In the church, we're going to have falling away. In the Middle East, the Antichrist will rise. And then there will be solar upset, sun, moon, and stars, no natural light. Hmm. Out of the more than 250 nations, the church is in trouble in all but a dozen of those nations. Get our head out of the sand in this country and begin to understand that Christianity is being persecuted. Maybe not as much here as it is in other places, but it is, and our time is coming. The last word today, put your trust in Jesus. For in our time, God's way, he'll work it out. That's the last word.